I'm joined today by Professor Dennis Noble at Oxford University to discuss his new book, Dance to the Tune of Life, which is published at the end of this month by Cambridge University Press. Dennis is also the author of the acclaimed book, The Music of Life. Dennis, welcome to The Thin End. Very nice to join The Thin End. Now, in the preface to your book, I think you say that 20th century biology, and you specifically refer to 20th century biology, went up the wrong street. What do you mean by that? What, what is the wrong street for 20th century biology? And then I'd like to move on to ask you about 21st century yes. biology. So what did you mean by going up the wrong street? Well, it's worth remembering, of course, that evolutionary biology really got its two big boosts in the 19th century before the 20th century came. And that explains why I think 20th century biology went wrong, because the 19th century proposals, first from the great French biologist Jean-Baptiste Lamarck, and then from Charles Darwin, was a nuanced view of evolution. He, I'm talking about Charles Darwin now, actually thought about several mechanisms. He said natural selection is the main mechanism, but not the only mechanism. And indeed, he refers himself to other mechanisms by which the process of evolution could occur. Now, what happened in the 20th century, very end of the 19th century, actually, with um, a man called August Weissmann, was that that analysis became, on the one hand, expanded because Mendelian genetics were brought in, but on the other hand, greatly restricted by saying that all that was necessary was totally random variation followed by natural selection. That's it. End of story. And so this is this was something new over and above Darwin. This yes, is something that so. sort of extended what Darwin was saying because Darwin yeah. Darwin did not know about um, genetics exactly. in the way that we know about it no. now. Exactly. Um, but nevertheless, he was seeing it in terms of inherited traits. Certainly so. And he must have had some idea about how those traits might be inherited, that yes. there was some kind of process by which inheritance yeah. could be passed down across generations. Well, he knew variation existed because, of course, he saw it in domesticated animals, the way in which huge varieties of dogs, cats, fish, plants had been developed by humans for thousands of years. So he knew there was natural variation which could be exploited by any filter that then selects from that range what is most successful and what is least successful. So that part of his process, I think, uh, one can well understand, and it's more or less stood the, the test of time. The part of it, though, that he also added to that was this. He thought that it was also possible for the environment to directly influence the variation that was then inherited. In that he was in agreement with Lamarck. That surprises many people. What and an acquired characteristic. Yes, exactly so. And he even invented a mechanism. He thought of tiny particles that went down through the blood to the germline, to the germ cells, in order 
to convey the information about the soma. So now, somehow or other this was picking up information from the environment and then being passed on to the germline. Exactly and, some, and this so. was a Darwinian idea the as well. Darwinian as, idea. Is, he, yes. he invented the idea that such particles existed. He called them gemules. So what? how did we get onto this then? Because genetics came along genetics is a real discipline so what on earth is wrong with genetics we know that genes exist don't we well we don't really know what we mean when we say that genes exist we know that dna exists and of course we now think of a gene as being a particular sequence of dna now and these are translated into production of protein. Exactly. So, so they act as templates for proteins. Precisely. Whereas a, a characteristic is more than just simply a bunch of proteins. That's right. The early stages, people did think that maybe it was one gene per characteristic. Of course, that had to be abandoned very early on because it became quite clear that multiple genes, let's call them that for the moment, are involved in any particular character. Moreover, any one gene, particularly a sequence of DNA, can be involved in more than one character. Yes, so, and, and of course the, 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 the genes, even in that sense, are really templates, aren't they? They're not... Exactly. Is, is one, one of the things that's gone wrong with the gene-centred view is that um, it sees genes as being as it were, causative and controlling. Exactly. And so what do you say in your book, then? What is, the, what, is the, what is the real message of your book? Well, it is that genes are passive. That they are D passive, DNA yes. uh, sequences are used by the organism because what actually happens is interesting. The organism tells the genome which ones to make amongst the many proteins it can make and how much. And so the pattern of gene expression, as we call it, is what is determined by the organism, not by the genome. And of course, if you look at individual cells, different kinds of cells would have the same genome, but will be uh, operating and using it in different ways. Exactly. So, so it's a bit like if you go into a, a kitchen uh, and uh, ask a chef what they use to produce a tart, yes. he will produce a, various templates to what he uses to cut out, let's say, a star-shaped tart or something. Yes. Yes, exactly. And uh, so it's, 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 they're utensils, in a sense, genes. So, but, but, but we've endowed them with something rather special. Well, I'm afraid that was because we called them selfish, as though they had some causative action ah. that made them, as it were, always be seeking to increase their number. Well, of course, they can't do that. They don't have that power. They have no power. If I took the DNA out of one of my cells and I put it in a dish on this table and I could add as many nutrients as I like to mm. the fluid in that dish, I could keep it for 10,000 years and do absolutely nothing. So they don't do anything until the cell or the organism tells them to do something exactly or so. asks them to do something you, you or coordinates them in a particular way to produce. So, in fact, a, a characteristic could share genetic information exactly with uh, and i'm going to come to information in a minute genetic information with other characteristics so it's not Indeed. as if there's one characteristic for which there's a set of genes no that that's right if i tell you that the one of the 
DNA sequences, a gene, let's call it that for a moment, that is partly involved in circadian rhythm, that's the rhythm in response to light and day, is also in fruit flies involved in the courtship dance of the male fruit fly to get his mate. I, you know, these are two totally different functions, same gene. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. And not to be unexpected in a sense, because when you consider the uh, enormous variety of characteristics that a human being has, uh, different behavioural paradigms, uh, different abilities, uh, and so on, uh, it's not surprising that that, that you, you would not have a particular gene mapping to any one of those characteristics. No, it's a big and extraordinary network in between the genes as DNA sequences and the phenotype that's the organism's characteristics at the higher level and there's so much interaction there that you you can't as it were say this is the gene for that it'll be the gene for many things yes so what's the problem then because surely geneticists understand this because they study genes so geneticists, no problem with geneticists, they, they no, see really the not. fact that the cell is going to be calling upon genes to do various things and express themselves in various uh, ways. Yes. So where does the problem lie well, then? Well, the problem d- didn't lie initially um, too much at all because, you know, when uh, Jim Watson and, and Francis Crick were discovering the helical structure, the double helical structure of DNA... Watson said to Crick, you know, Francis, it's a template. He said that right at the beginning, and then it went wrong. Why did it go wrong? It went wrong because of a very important contribution by the big quantum mechanics pioneer, Erwin Schrödinger. Schrödinger wrote a book called What is Life in 1942, hugely influential book. Both Watson and Crick acknowledge the enormous impact that had. And they thought, following Schrödinger, that the DNA would be a complete one-way determinant readout. We now know so that's this wrong. is this is uh, the idea that it's a code or yes. a blueprint which uh, tells, as it were, the cell how to grow and behave. Yes. So this is one way, a linear flow of information. And this gets to the point about treating it as information. Indeed so. Um, What do you think about that information? Is it information? I mean, a template is information in one sense, isn't it? I mean, if I go back to the idea that there's a star shape that the chef uses to cut out a tart shape, in a sense, it's it's, it's information in the sense of the pattern that he's looking for. That's a, a sort of information. But is yeah. there any other way in which you can see um, uh, the, the strips of DNA as being information in any other sense than a template? Well, here we get into a very important discovery in molecular biology, which was the so-called triplet code. That was the discovery that you need three of the nucleotides in the DNA sequence to be able to specify an amino acid in a protein. And that naturally led to the idea that here was a code. Mm. Now, in one sense, one can understand that. As a metaphor, it's perfectly fine. Of course, by code, we really mean an intentional code by humans, but this is not an intentional code. But let's give the molecular biologists their due. They found this very important fact that you need three nucleotides to specify one amino acid. Now, there is, therefore, 
a sense in which we can say these three nucleotides code for that amino acid, this three codes for that, all the various triplets are known. And it would be, I think now, very difficult to undo the idea that we call that a code or that we don't think that it's information, obviously in, in some but, sort of But sense what it, it is, is not, what it is not is a book of life. It is not a programme of life. And precisely. that's really, that's, that, that is where it, it goes wrong. That's where and that's it, the one, the street that is the wrong street to go That, up. I think, is where it starts to go wrong with metaphors that go beyond what is justified from the experimental evidence. There is no complete programme in the DNA. We can show that, that you need the rest of the germline cells, and of course in sexual reproduction, the fusion of the sperm and egg, you need all of that to specify what happens, and you can prove that. If you put the nucleus from one species into the fertilized egg cell of another species, and you've taken the nucleus out of it, and you put this nucleus from the other species in, what you get is a mixture. The cytoplasm has huge information as well. I did a calculation a few years ago that shows that you can represent the information, in inverted commas, in the cytoplasm as equally equal to the three billion base pairs in the genome. So you need both. So what we're talking about here is what's often referred to as the modern synthesis or right. neo-Darwinism. Exactly. And uh, so what are, the again, the essential ingredients of the modern synthesis and why do you think that the modern synthesis is wrong? Yes, I think the essential features are that genetic variation is entirely random with respect to function. And so can I, just, can I just make sure we understand what's going on there? The yes. idea here is that the changes in the DNA, yes. in the genes, is random mutation. Exactly. So these so. occurring randomly, by chance. By chance. Uh, there's no deterministic aspect of That's it. They're right. just wobbling around, as it were, and changing. Yes. And uh, that natural selection sort of acts upon these mutations. So if you get a good mm. mutation or a valuable mutation, that assists in uh, reproduction or whatever it yeah. might be, that that then gets selected for. Exactly. And poorer traits get selected Against. out. But these yes. traits are really based on this idea of a random assortment. Precisely so. And therefore, there is no direction yes. to the variation. Yes. The variation is entirely by chance. Now, that leads to some very important and high-impact influences on our thinking about what it is to be human mm. or indeed for what my dog is to be a dog, mm -hmm. which is that we really don't have any kind of free action. We really don't have any kind of control over the way in which we develop or in the way in which we pass on inheritance to our children. Because this is the idea that really the how we are and how we develop and so on is really in the genes. Exactly so. Rather than environmental or interactive. Or an interaction between the genome, the organism and the environment, which is what I think is the case. Yes. But we can prove all of this to be wrong. Well, I, was going to, I was going to ask, you see, because the vast majority of people think listening will probably think that, you know, much of this, after all, through the, from the second half of the last century to yeah. 
modern day mm. has, as it were, an evidential basis. Otherwise, what on earth have these scientists been doing all this time? I mean, surely it has a strong evidential basis. Well, it's certainly true that a large amount of variation in DNA is random. Mm. All molecules in any system, whether it be a gas in a container or the molecules in the cells of my body, are bumping around yes. in stochastic ways, that is, random ways, stochastic, yes. and therefore you cannot avoid that. The important point is that organisms use stochasticity. They use that randomness in very extraordinary ways. I can describe just one example mm. first to show mm. how powerful that is. Mm. There is not enough DNA in our genome for the immune system to be able to produce antigens to the vast number of things that attack us. Actually, the immune system is a fantastic idea of something that's responsive to the environment, isn't it? Exactly so. And it's responsive in a genetic sense. And the way it does it is fascinating because it uses stochasticity... This is the, the ran way, random changes. Exactly. It uses the random changes in what's called the variable part mm. of the protein that it makes. And it... So there's a... There's a did you just hold it? There's, yes. a, there's, there's a bit of a protein yes. that is relatively constant exactly. and fixed. Yes. And then other bits of the protein that can be changed. Exactly. And it's those bits of the protein that are changeable, that are vital to the work of the immune system. And they respond by what is called hypermutation, that is vastly increased mutation rates when there is stress on the organism by a new foreign body that is interacting with the organism and, and dangerous to it. So what does it do? It enhances the change in by a million fold. By a millionfold. That's Huge massive. Advance. It's massive. massive. And so what is it doing? It's spinning through a vast number of possibilities so it's a bit it finds like a, the key. It's a bit like, a, what do they call those things? One-armed bandits yes. where you get yes. the, the, exactly. the, the three, you're trying to get the three lemons or, exactly. or three oranges or whatever. Yes. And you yes. know you've got two oranges. Yeah. And you know that the environment is changing and, the, the, as it were, the best thing to have was, would be three oranges. And yeah. you, you, you pull the lever, that one, but you hold constant the two oranges that you've already got and you, you see get, if you can get an orange or exactly, something like exactly. it. You might get a lemon, yes. but it's better than not having yes. any citrus fruit at all. No, so it's, so yes. it, it, your idea then is that the system is, is, is working a bit like this in terms of inheritance, that it's, what it's really doing is saying that the, in response to the environment, it enhances enhances the change that's taking place. Precisely. So it enhances the mutation in yeah. particular regions. That's why we call it hyper-mutation. Hyper-mutation. Increased mutation rate. Yes. yes. And so that's what that's you right. mean by using the stochasticity, Precisely. the random... Yes. That's yes. extraordinary, yes. isn't it? And what's functional about it is that it's targeted to just that region. Because if it was occurring elsewhere, you would no longer have a useful protein. And how long so, have we known that this is... Oh, for years. Yonks. I mean, I don't know exactly. 30 years, more, maybe. So, so why has the modern... not a new... Well, it's not new. Well, so what what's, they, what's yes. the problem then with the modern synthesis? Is, is, is it not taken this into account? Well, what they would say is that that is to do with hypermutation in a particular region of the immune system genetic code... Um, in the lifetime of an individual, now the question mm. is, can it be transmitted down through the germline? 
and now we can show that. So there is evidence that it can be transmitted. Yes. Because that's important, isn't it? Because yes. it's got to be shown to be transferred Precisely. across a generation and yes. across another generation and across another generation. Exactly so. Otherwise so there's got to be some persistence. Otherwise, natural selection would not be able to work upon it. That's the crucial thing. Precisely so. So their argument is that that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. happen. No, or at least where it does, it doesn't happen in uh, a sufficient number of generations. That's right. Now, with regard to... Can it happen across generations? You can show that very easily in bacteria. Bacteria, if they're subject to starvation, do exactly the same thing. They hypermutate in, again, the regions of their genomes that make it likely that they will find a solution. And they do that so rapidly that they're now capable, of course, of giving us a scare about antibiotics because they know no inverted commas if indeed, you like how indeed. to rapidly mutate to try yes. to deal with a challenge like that right and this is why antibiotics are ceasing to be uh, strong enough to cope precisely with new so. strains yes. of bacteria yes. Right. Can but I ask I, you though? What, did, did back to I suppose you know people might say, well, bacteria, bacteria, and yes. human beings are human beings. We're much more complex. Yes. Well, is, is there any any evidence to suggest that this uh, system might be operating in a, a, a larger organism, a multicellular organism? That's a very good question because in larger organisms there are other more subtle ways in which it's done. Mm-hmm. And there are several ways in which that can be done. All of them are called epigenetics, that is, something happening above genetics itself. One of those mechanisms is that the genome sequence is flagged, it's marked Mm. by the organism during its lifetime. What's the consequence of the marking? What does that do to the... Changes the gene expression level. So it changes the expression level. Yes, that's right. So that can transfer down through the generations, transferring not only the DNA, but also the marking that has been put on by the organism itself. And this can happen in response to the maternal, the mother's environment, can't Precisely it? so. This has been shown why, to yes. be true with uh, the developmental origin of health and disease, where Precisely the so. environment, the nutritional environment of the mother is, as it were, flagged in the genome and exactly. uh, alters the expression at various times of development and so yes. can fundamentally alter the kind of metabolism that a fetus and a newborn baby and and so on has. Is there any indication that that is also transgenerational? I think there is, isn't there? Yes, there there is. There's some work in Southampton that has shown women's study that shows transgenerational Yes, it does go down through generations. Now, the um, other point to make is there are other mechanisms as well, because not only DNA goes down through the germline, RNAs do too. Now, the RNA RNA is the... Just, just very, very briefly, yes. we've got the DNA, yes. which is the sort of bit of the template Indeed. that produces another template. Actually, there's, there's an RNA that... What, what happens exactly there? I'm sorry, I just wanted yes. to make sure no, that... We, we, people understand what thin, RNA The thin is. end is, yes. is intended of to course, be right. uh, for a yes. broader audience than scientists. Yes. yes. The interesting fact is that the DNA sequence does not produce as a template the sequence for a protein directly. It first does so by transferring that sequence information to what's called an RNA. Don't let's worry too much about what that means. It's just a different kind of molecule, but also with nucleotides like DNA. Mm. And it's the RNA that's then used by the organism to specify the protein. Right. Now, 
RNAs, there are many of them, and huge parts of the genome, not usually called genes, mm. produce RNAs. They're the template for various RNAs. Those, in my view, ought also to be called genes yes. because many of those RNAs have function. They it like, goes back to our problem of deciding what a gene is. Again, exactly so, which is why I was cautious about saying you know, we don't fully know what a gene is anymore. Mm. And certainly we should, I think, regard the functional RNAs as genes. Now we know mm. that RNAs go down through the germline too. That also has been shown. Now the standard response of the neo-Darwinist modern synthesis to all this would be to say it's very rare. And it dies out very quickly. I wonder how rare. So I wonder how rare it needs to be, because after all, what I can I could, I could never understand about the modern synthesis view is if it is just these random mutations occurring, why they're not just simply absorbed in the population or buffered in the population in any case? Because if there's no direction to them, they'll be occurring here and occurring there and occurring here. What really produces change is something that produces a coherent change in a trait. And as we've already said, a trait is a complex of genetic um, uh, contribution, yeah. environmental contributions on physics and, and so on, that produces a, a trait, a characteristic. Mm. So it always seemed to me that modern synthesis, difficult to see how that could produce a trait. Yes, and you will produce a variation that is functionally useful vastly more rapidly mm. by a mechanism that uses the functionality to specify what mm. goes down through the generations. In other words... It's sort of saying, can I get something that fits this? We, yes, need, we need this. Exactly can we so. get something that fits it? Yes, yes. that's right. Is there any and evidence of the system doing that, of saying, look, we need this, can we have it? <laughs> um, They're actually talking back to the you know, to the genome, as it were, and saying, look, I, I need this. As, for example, if it loses something, if it yeah. loses a bit of the genome, what happens then? Well, if, for example, you lo lose a bit of the genome in bacteria that code for the uh, flagelli that enable the bacterium to swim, within a few days, they will find, by mutating their genome more rapidly than mm -hmm. usual, a way of getting and, the and this back. is specifically this is not just simply taking the flagellum away this is this this, this is, is a knockout this is knocking out the knocking gene out the gene and so what it then does precisely. is to find another pro, another way of making what it needs in order to produce a flagella precisely so that here it says i need this and yes. therefore you give it yes. to me to the genome yes, yes, exactly. that's extraordinary yes. so this is is this the reason why you call your book um, the dance to yes. the music of life. Yes, because the genes see, are dancing, really, aren't the they? Genes are dancing. You're, and, and what you're doing is 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 exactly. increasing the tempo. Yes. You're increasing the tempo uh, of the yes. music yes. and saying, exactly like, I, so. we need this, and yes. so the and from the sequencing of genomes, a complete human genome, of course, was finished in around 2001. It's the full draft. Now, very interesting fact about that, particularly the Nature paper that published it in 2001, is that you can do comparisons between different species all the way from little planarian worm or even yeast, which is even smaller, through all the way to the human. And what you find is that great long domains, that's long sequences of amino acids or the equivalent in terms of nucleotides, have been moved around in the genome. Not split up, no. not produced by 
little mutations mm. slowly accumulating, which was the essence. It's taking of vast chunks and saying, "Look, let's yes. let's reorder this. Let's jig it around." That's right. It's and like a like a, a sort of a jigsaw puzzle, and it's got a bit of jig, jigsaw puzzle missing, and so it's sort of trying to desperately find the bits of the jigsaw puzzle that will fit. Exactly so. And and so it shuffles them around. So we got this. We've yeah. got the enhanced mutability yeah. in specific regions, and we've got this sort of jig, jigsaw puzzle type of of, of fitting exactly. of, of shifting things around in the in the genome. Yes, and I think of it in this way: if I gave two children sets of Lego bricks, and to the first children I give just simple Lego bricks, the old-fashioned kind that we all grew yes. up on, where you've got to laboriously make an arch from a number of bricks, mm. and to the other I give a Lego set that contains preformed architectural pieces. And I ask one of them um, and the other to make a bridge. Which is going to get there first? The mm. one, obviously, mm. with the preformed elements. Mm. So if you can move preformed elements around the genome, you're going to get there vastly more quickly. And that has been known for around 70 years. Barbara McClintock eventually got the Nobel Prize at the age of 81. But her view, her ideas were ignored? Were ignored for 30 years. That's extraordinary. She was even told, don't publish on this because nobody believes you. That was in 1957. Is this one of the problems with the... Uh, because you, you've repeatedly said that these ideas are not new, that they've been around and so on. Uh, is one of the problems here that, that the science itself found it difficult to assimilate or accept these ideas? The big a... problem, I'm afraid... This is obviously my personal view, mm. is that the defenders of the neo-Darwinist modern synthesis mm. and therefore the idea that there is no, um, how best to put this, um, that there is no functionality in the process of evolution. Yes. Evolution yes. is regarded as completely blind. Yes. That has been used mm. by many scientists mm. who are steeped mm. in neo-Darwinist thinking mm. to be an argument against particular religious yes. ideas. So they've got to, and, 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 and yes, and so I was going to say that, of course, uh, the, 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 the difficulty of accepting some of the things that you're saying is that once you give functionality to the, the whole process... Including the gene, because you know why? Why would why are we separating out the genome uh, from the uh, organism in any case? I mean, it, it, the phenotype is it, it, it's part of the phenotype. Exactly. And so. if you take even yes. if you go back to Schrödinger's um, definition of life, which was I think that you know it's a system that maintains its integrity. Yeah. The very process of maintaining your te- integrity is itself functional. So if you've got a function of maintaining, exactly and if it, what is important to maintaining your integrity is to ensure that you respond appropriately to environmental pressures, you surely mm. would have something that changes uh, the templates that allow you to produce what is necessary to... And, and we know that is what happens precisely, yes. Now, my view is very simply that people were frightened of admitting that because it's a huge change. It's hard to think... Mm. of a bigger change in our conception of the evolutionary process than one that says actually organisms help to direct the process. Mm. That is an enormous change. So it is directional, not in a determinist sense. No, no, that's right. But in the sense that it is seeking to solve a problem. Exactly. 
and that, and that is the, the integrity of life. It, 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 it's trying to maintain life, and right. it's seeking answers to to that problem. How do you? Yeah, that's right. And it harnesses stochasticity yes. in order to do that. So the and you've got usual defini- mantra. And in a sense, you've got a definition of life there, haven't you? Because after mm. when you look at physics in general, the physical nature of the world about us, it's all randomly bouncing Precise. around. Precisely. And so, what yeah. what decides that one bit is a solid? chair and another bit a human being is that the human being is seeking always to maintain its integrity and it does that because the organism as a whole is capable of constraining the functionality of its molecular components yes just in the same way just to go back to physics but it doesn't alter the fact that those bouncing around molecules are still bouncing around precisely so yes. just as in a gas in a container they're bouncing around yes but the laws of thermodynamics work uh, and, perfectly And, of course, if well. I have a balloon, that's exactly what is happening. If I make a balloon of a certain kind of gas mm. uh, that is lighter than the air, it'll rise up and float. Precisely. I'm using, yeah. in a sense, the random nature of those molecules exactly bouncing so. around yeah. to create the pressure difference that allows uh, the balloon to rise. Precisely so. Yes. Yes. That's so a, constraint is the key. Right. Now, the way in which people and the modern synthesis avoided that conclusion was to say the genome is completely isolated from right. any influence so this was an Im- this was an important principle it became a dogma didn't it yes, really that you, it was you've got the genome locked away as it were right, exactly a secret so. locked this away there uh, immutable exactly so yes. other than its own random changes yes. it was buzzing around there locked away in a nucleus or whatever it's in uh, and, and and cannot be changed by that the was of course originally Weissman's idea way back at the end of the 19th century right. he invented the concept of the Weissman barrier and of course it became reinforced with the central dogma of molecular biology which states now this is very interesting actually it's thought to state the same thing, that there's only a one-way readout. If you read Crick carefully, all he actually says is sequence information goes one way, not information that determines what is expressed, which is what determines the traits. Yes, yes. Do you think, I mean, coming to the end of our, our discussion, is the modern synthesis broken and therefore we need a new framework, or is it possible to extend the modern synthesis, as people often do? People often call Mm. it the extended modern synthesis, don't they? And I know that some people get rather annoyed by that because they feel that, look, we need to abandon something that's not working because it alters our perspective of life, changes. What you're saying changes our view of life completely. It does so in a way that is extremely important to the humanities, to economics, to philosophy, and to many other disciplines where evolutionary biology has had a huge impact. Mm -hmm. Because once you admit there is directionality to the cause of variation, Mm -hmm. You really changed it fundamentally. Mm. It is philosophically a totally different world view. And so scientifically too, because what, what it does in science is to direct you to new kinds of experimental paradigms. Exactly you so. are now looking for the mechanism by which that, uh, that um, functionality can occur. If, right. you, if you don't believe that functionality exists, you wouldn't be looking for it and you wouldn't be asking the questions and you wouldn't be setting up the experiments to test for it. Well, and the grant body would tell you, Don't do it, it's lunacy.
So where are we with this then, Dennis? We've 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 got a um, a modern synthesis that is, as it were, beyond repair because it's the fundamental of that idea is is wrong. This idea that there is this stochasticity which has to be preserved, as it were, in the process. and that that is totally blind. And it's blind. And I think we now know that the process is not entirely blind. So is the watchmaker not blind, Dennis? Well, now we come to a very difficult question. So let me. Maybe we can leave that for another time. I think so, because that gets to be a very difficult question. The simple point is that, if you like, it's one-eyed. It's got some directionality, but it is using a blind process to achieve the directionality. That's the key. Dennis Nable, thank you very much. My pleasure.